You're listening to Testimony on the Good Lion Podcast Network. Welcome back to Testimony. Today, we're going to hear from Pastor Christian Trena. In the last episode, Christian shared his story of depression and suicide and, and this miraculous story of how Jesus' love broke through all of that pain. And if you haven't heard his testimony, seriously, just stop what you're doing and go listen to the last episode. It's amazing. Christian shares about how Jesus spoke to him in the middle of a suicide attempt and how he eventually came to Christ, not through a Christian evangelist, but by reading an anti-Christian book by an atheist. It's fantastic stuff. In this episode, I sit down with Christian and ask him a bunch of questions that I had while he was giving his testimony. And I really enjoyed this interview with Christian, and I hope you do too. With that, let's go to the interview. Wow, that was an incredible story, Christian. Thank you so much for sharing it, man. Yeah, absolutely. It was a huge blessing. I I was just amazed at the whole thing, and I have I have so many questions. And before that, though, I just want to just uh, get into some background on you. So you are the youth pastor uh, and college pastor and assistant pastor, and I'm assuming janitor at yeah. uh, Calvary Chapel, Oklahoma City. So it kind of goes along with the territory where we're a pretty small church, and uh, it, it's kind of like when ministry is just uh, whoever says, here I am. Um, I, I am the administrative pastor, I'm the youth pastor, and other things as well. And it's just, I'm available for whatever. Many hats. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Um yeah, I, I love that when I first moved here to Oklahoma and I showed up and just walked through the door of this church and you were sitting there behind the coffee counter, uh, you were so welcoming to me, who like a complete stranger, and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> who is this guy? Um, yeah, thank you for that. So I, I have several questions um, just listening to your testimony. I was taking notes, and one thing that struck me was um, – this whole thing about hurting animals and this desire to hurt people at a young age, mm-hmm. um, was there any direct cause of that? Because as a young kid, um, you know, I, I mean, all of us as kids, you know, we we did things that were strange or weird. But but this, to me, I'm wondering, like, was there any driving uh, force or, or anything in your life that was causing this desire to do these things? So not like if, if you mean like, oh, you know, did you watch some YouTube video or, or something like that that started making you do stupid things? I'm no. pretty sure YouTube wasn't around in the 80s. So. It was VHS. We had a, you know. <laughs> so um, the way it worked was I actually loved animals. Hmm. In fact, there was a part of me that felt like the only kind of real agape love that I ever knew was like from my dog, you know, like my dog just didn't care who I was. He was just there to love and, and everything. So I, the thing is, I really loved animals and respected animals. But I'm telling you, man, there was something that was very dark inside of me that was causing me to do the things that I didn't want to do, things that didn't make sense. And I know that we all have that. We all have those moments where we do the things that we don't want to do. Paul talks about that in Romans and... um for me, I think it was just this steady, gradual direction towards the inevitable demise. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the enemy is just going to hit us with a one-punch knockout one day. Well, it's it's an interesting point that kind of points me at least to the theological reality of sin nature. Right. Because I think, I mean, when you watch movies and TV shows and there's a character where 
you know, they, you know, they end up as a serial killer or something. And the flashback is to when they were kids and they're, they're doing these things mm-hmm. like harming animals. Usually it's revealed that something traumatic happened in right. their life that caused it. You know, someone hit them, someone hurt them. Um, but in your case, it's, it's just the, the actual sin nature that you had was manifesting at a really young age. Is that kind of what was going on? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that growing up, I think everybody grows up with abuse. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, everyone's family has some dysfunction to it and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't blame my family for anything. I, I grew up with physical abuse in my family. You know, that was mm-hmm. just what we called discipline back then. And, um, but it wasn't because of anything like that. Mm-hmm. It certainly wasn't, um, you know, some kind of tragedy that made me lash out against it really was, um, I, I really believe that the, the, hurt that I was dealing with was manifesting itself. The pain was starting to become something that manifested outward Mm. into things that I was, while I was even young, still had some control over like insects or or small animals or something like that. Mm. Wow. Well, uh, my next question would be the hatred of God. Can you pinpoint, I know you talked about this in your testimony, but can you pinpoint specifically like where that came from? Was it a slow, gradual thing? Did you grow up in a house that was a Christian home, like with faith? Was that something that was presented to you at a young age? Um, was it a gradual, slow burn? Or was there kind of like this one defining moment where everything changed and the tables turned? I, I would say that my family and my community, my culture, everything that I grew up in grew up with the reality that there was a God, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But at the same time, there was just really kind of a very um, cultural aspect to it as opposed to a real life faith. Mm -hmm. So we were the type, uh, like many in our community that went to church for Christmas and Easter. Did you grow up in Oklahoma? No, I grew up in New York. New York. Okay. And and so the culture there where I was growing up was, was very much, you know, uh, God as a part of culture, Mm -hmm. um, not so much as who we're living our lives for right here and now presently. So, you know, there were, there were standards that my family had, that, you know, we're, we're, don't lie, don't steal, things like that. But um, my family doing the best that they could with what they had, you know, them trying to fix me, you know, they sent me to a, a Christian school hmm. so that they could do what I, like that the school could hopefully help and do what they couldn't do. Right. So that, that and, and as far as my turning point with God, it was definitely slow and gradual. Mm. Um, it just kept on building up, the, like my life continued to bear more frustration and more mm. frustration to the point where I just, instead of taking responsibility for the things that were going on in my life, I turned it on God. And I mm. said, this is your fault. Why do I feel this way? Why is my life so bad if you're, if you exist mm. and if you're all loving and, and things that were a manipulation of truth. Hmm. So it just brought me to that breaking point. You know, my, my heart breaks listening to it because um, I worked at a Christian school um, when I was on staff at Calvary Chapel Vista in California. I was um, the youth pastor, but I also had a basically voluntary job position there as the campus pastor for our Christian school. Um, I had kind of an open door policy. You know, kids were in and out of my office all the time during lunch and break hanging out. But I actually went to that school myself and graduated from it. So I have a long history with that school. And I just remember there were kids in my class and just all the classes really where they were there, they were going to chapel. We had Bible teachers every single day, but 
you could just tell like they didn't believe it. And yeah. then fast forward to when I was uh, on staff there, I just remember so many kids where I, I'm teaching Bible class and mm-hmm. I can just tell I'm like, man, they, they don't get it. And mm-hmm. I can't make them get it. I can't force them to get it. Right. I mean, um, do you have any thoughts on that kind of? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's the biggest challenge. I, I've after I gave my life to Christ, um, it wasn't even a full year. I was 20 years old and I had gone to the pastor at my church um, less than a year into being a Christian, but I was all in. And mm. I went to him and I said, hey, um, I heard you guys need some help in the youth. Uh, I might be interested in something like that. And he said, uh, we were waiting for when you were going to say that. So um, when I got started with the youth, I really thought that these kids were going to be on fire their whole life. <laughs> And here I am trying to catch up to them. Like I was almost a little bit excited and nervous by how much more experience they were going to be in their walk and in their life and their faith. These kids who were like, oh, I became a Christian at four and six and all that. <laughs> um, I, I was a Christian for less than a year. So when I got there to that youth group and when I first met with the kids and their hearts were in different places and their minds were in different places, it was, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And at first it didn't compute. It didn't make sense. Um, you know, but I have been a youth pastor since the year 2001. It's, it's wow. been, it's been a minute and you definitely, learned, you definitely beat me. <laughs> That's awesome. It, yeah, it's a rare breed. Um, but I love these kids and, and I don't think that, you know, when God assigns people, I don't think he says, okay, I'm going to put a tag on you and make you a youth pastor. We're just faithful wherever mm-hmm. God puts us. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where I've been and, and it's been incredible. But one of the things that I've learned significantly over the years is these kids, in some ways, they've heard it their whole lives, mm, yeah. and they've got that Jesus kind of vaccine where they've heard it so much that it no longer has an impact on their life, kind of mm. like the Church of Laodicea. And in my experience, the most important thing for um, kids to see from their youth, pastors or whoever, is not necessarily just sound doctrine, but it's a life that demonstrates it. When they can see a life that's really lived, what that looks like, they know there isn't that same hypocrisy and, and, and it gives them an idea just like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It gives them a model that's tangible that they can look at and say, I could do that. I can, yeah. I, I see what, I understand what that takes in some ways now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I think that, um, as much as my heart breaks for so many of these kids where, you know, I just look back and I'm like, I know they didn't get it. And I tried really hard and, you know, I hope that they would get it. Um, your story gives me so much hope. And, and in reality, there have been kids that I've looked back on and, you know, I haven't heard from them in six years and they'll text me and say, I get it now. And it had nothing to do with me mm-hmm. or anything that I did. It was, mm-hmm. it was just the seeds were planted and then God was the one who showed up and made it, made it happen. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you about depression and uh, those suicidal thoughts. Sure. Um, if that's okay to go there. Uh, yeah, I think it's very, uh, I, in this day and age, I think it's becoming much more acceptable and, and desirable to go there. And mm-hmm. for me, that depression was, I don't know if I would say it started in sixth grade. It certainly was around there. And fifth grade had a lot of darkness. And I'm just trying to think, I know for a fact between seventh grade and ninth grade, yeah. I was in crazy dark depression, crazy mm-hmm. dark. And if it start, it must have been somewhere like around fifth grade or so, because that's when I really started thinking those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a real thing. And, it, and I think one of the most staggering things that we don't realize, especially as adults, looking at kids, we're like, oh, they're like 13, 14. Maybe it's starting to get hard for them mm-hmm. when these kids can be going through depression at like eight, nine, yeah, yeah. you know, like it. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, a topic that we need to talk about and approach and, mm-hmm. and they need to know that we care and we're listening like yeah. this. This matters. Absolutely. In my own experience, I 
I was never diagnosed with depression, so I can't tell you whether or not I actually had it. Mm-hmm. But for me as a young person, I definitely was sad for a huge amount of time. Um, I, uh, you know, middle school, I had some friends, they all left uh, seventh grade year. So from eighth grade to 12th grade, I kind of was just like this floater in my school and felt like I had no friends. And it was kind of that thing where people, yeah, they liked me. I, I would try to be the class clown because that's how I got affirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, it was one of those things where I was searching and I wasn't finding anything and, you know, no luck in love life, felt rejected mm-hmm. all the time. And so I literally kind of had this complex where I thought no one sees me, no one hears mm-hmm. me, no one cares if I you know, if I died, you know, no one would, you know, I wouldn't matter to anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've struggled with, um, you know, some form of sadness in school. Uh, but for you, I want to ask, uh, you know, suicide, I've never been suicidal. Like I've never had those thoughts. There's never been a moment where that came up. Um, so I can't speak to that issue, Mm -hmm. but I know you can. And so I just want for anyone listening to this who maybe might be struggling with that, what would you say to them? Like what advice, what encouragement would you give to maybe someone listening right now who has these suicidal thoughts or tendencies? You know, I, in my experience, I I think there's different reasons that people are suicidal and especially now the position I'm at now where I serve a much larger group of people I've I've catered to people who are both teens like that I'm, I'm coming and visiting them in the psych ward because they tried to end their life the night before wow. or I could be in a situation where I'm trying to prevent a, a man who's maybe like 40 years old from taking his life who's married and has children wow they're not the same thing you know, the, the, are they both suicidal? Okay, yeah, that they both maybe fit under that umbrella, but the means in which they both came to those places, I don't think are the same. Mm. So one of the first things I would say is um, people want to know how you got there. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think there's necessarily just one road that leads to something like that. I really do think that it is based on lies and it's based on us continuing to be fed by lies. Even the things that you were talking about, though you, you said that you weren't suicidal, yeah. the thoughts that you were just talking about were not thoughts that came from God. Yeah, no, and, not and at all. as we're fed and as more, more importantly, because the opportunity is always there for us to grab onto a lie. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. No, looking back, if I, if I look back and reevaluate my life at that time, I was actually very loved by mm-hmm. my parents, uh, my youth pastors, mm-hmm. my teachers. Um, there were several people at school where even though, you know, I didn't have a girlfriend and I didn't really have some close friends, a lot of people really did care about me. And, Absolutely. Look, and looking back, I've talked to those people and I've seen that they did. And so I was just totally living underneath that lie. Yes. So, and we all have, every one of us has um, our daily situations with lies. Mm-hmm. Everyone, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian for. Um, and, and it's, it's important for people to know that like, you know, for people who have, um, their faith has been tested and matured and, you know, they, they, they're in places where it seems so easy. Sometimes it could seem like they never struggle with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people have to know that this is, um, it's a very fragile thing. That's not based off of how strong we are. It's based off of how strong God is and how capable God is and how able we are in order to let him have our life and our mind and our will. And whenever there's something that comes in that's contrary to that, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, that needs to be shut down immediately and not entertained to not go any further down that path. And for a girl who is, let's say, maybe in ninth grade, 
compared to a guy who's 40 years old, that's probably going to look different, but it's still the <laughs> same root of lies that got yeah. them there. Yeah. And, and the, they need to know that we want to know, that we want to know what's going on. And, mm. and we don't blame them for the lies at all. Mm. That's that's fantastic advice and really encouraging. And and to me, it totally plays into like the heart of your story. Because to me, this is what is one of the most amazing things about your story. God was the one who showed up in your story yes. throughout the whole thing. Yes, like absolutely. The situation um, with the suicide mm-hmm. attempt in the room, it was his voice that spoke to you. Mm-hmm. Later on, it wasn't a Christian missionary. It wasn't a pastor. It was literally somebody thinking they're giving you this book on atheism, mm-hmm. and God showed up. A human missionary wasn't necessary in, in this. I just I, it blows my mind that that's how it happened. That mm-hmm. it wasn't because I, I at my old church. Um, when I was serving there, I was really big on evangelism, and I think evangelism right. is important. I think Christians should do it. I think a lot of us, we don't do it, and it's this necessary part of our faith that we need to practice. But it's this constant thing God's been reminding me, and it actually helps fuel that evangelism, is that we're not necessary. We're just seed planters, but ultimately, he has the power to step into someone's life and make himself present to them. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of jokingly say with, um, you know, a good intention is that God doesn't play fair. And (laughs) so, like, you know, it it might seem like, you know, this this book that's written by an atheist that should be anti-God is going to be one of those things that helps you and your faith and and, and not believing in God. And it really turns out that he uses that to flip the whole thing upside down and Mm. clears away all that stuff. But one of the things I know that I, I experienced was a lot of frustration from Christians that were trying to evangelize to me. <laughs> they did it. And, and I'm trying to say this the right way because I know their intention was good. I right. know their intention was love. It always is. It always is. <laughs> um, the, the way that people were approaching me to try to shake me out of my atheism um, just seemed really to push me more into it. Right. If that makes sense. Um, well, it makes sense. Like when you have your heart set on being an atheist, a, a Christian trying to prove to you that your atheism is wrong is going to be just as annoying as if you're a Christian and an atheist is trying to prove to you that mm-hmm. your Christianity is wrong. Like it's not going to be received well. Yeah, there, th- that's that's a that's a good point. It, it really seems to come down to like, um, and and I struggled with this a lot in my Christian years was being an arrogant Christian. Even though I came from a place where I knew how frustrating that could be in this other is, areas. This is post-salvation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After I became a Christian, like, you know, we're not finished, you know, like our, like the, the work that God has begun in our wait, life. Wait, wait, You're saying a, a new <laughs> believer was messed up? Really? Um, and, wow. And goodness. Who knew? So just for the record, you know, I, I do think in my experience, I have seen uh, 14-year-olds that had greater spiritual maturity than 40-year-olds. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I was- I've seen a, some of those too. Yeah, and and they're amazing. Like, it, it, and and that's another awesome thing is like, especially for the young ones who are listening. Like, you can live so boldly for God, and there's so many biblical mm. exam, examples of that. But you can also be an older, arrogant, prideful Christian that's just like lacking in that love and right. lacking in that that meeting and stuff. And well, so it goes back to what Paul says. It's like you can know the scriptures backwards and mm-hmm. forwards, but if you have if you don't have love, right. you don't have anything. You're exactly. just a clanging symbol crashing. Exactly. I think of like a monkey, you know, those monkeys in the old cartoons with the I didn't actually ever see a cartoon with a monkey doing that. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Back okay. to you. Back to you, Christian. So we we've got we've got a church that God has empowered 
And sometimes, just like I was talking about, what I would do is I would not base the mission that I thought that I was on for God on the power of God. Mm. I was basing it more off of what I was learning and how I was equipping myself with the intellect of a Christian, trying to get my ducks in a row with doctrine and all all these things so that I could maybe probably win arguments, <laughs> uh, win arguments for the Lord, which should win people over for the Lord. You were like a big apologetics fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so my whole thing was that God isn't true. So then after I became a Christian, I really wanted to um, make sure that I could defend not not just defend the faith but present the faith right. in truth right. and reasonably so and 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 i'm not knocking apologetics when i just said that comment mm-hmm. back there apologetics are great I necessary think every yeah necessary but with every love. with love exactly you got to have love with the truth if you just have truth it's like going up to someone and trying to hit them in the face with a bible it's mm-hmm. not going to do any good yeah you know, you and, and and when we have a person who is suicidal hmm. i don't know that apologetics is what takes them off that that ledge right you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's apologetic. Maybe it is, but I've never seen that situation. I think apologetics has to be part, the truth has to be a part of the entire equation. Right. And, and like you said, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Right. And that's, I mean, you know, the story of Lee Strobel, right? Mm-hmm. You know, his whole situation was, you know, he was an atheist and then he studied and he mm-hmm. looked into the apologetics trying to disprove it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like apologetics can't save, but... I think ultimately what we're getting at here is it's God's love and grace that draws people. Mm-hmm. And so for us, if we're going to be a part, like for every single Christian, he's calling us to step into that mission. It's the father saying to his kids, hey, I want you to be involved in what I'm already doing. Yes. Um, but if we think like the only way this person is going to get saved is if I drive the truth into them. Mm-hmm then I think God's actually standing there as the father saying, hey, kids, what are you doing? Like, that's not what I'm trying to do here. Like, I am trying to show myself to them, to to prove myself to them, not through, um, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm getting. I, yeah. It's funny you should mention Lee Strobel because before I was a Christian and I had a lot of Christians that were trying to minister to me, the case for Christ came up. Right. And they, they said, hey, you need to read this book. Again, thinking that that was going to be a silver bullet. Right. And I could totally appreciate that there's so many overlaps between his story and and where I was at. But we have to remember that, like, in in the way that God leads everyone to him, it's probably going to be as unique as God is. Right. And that, I mean, (laughs) you didn't read Lee Strobel's book and get saved. You read a book by an atheist and got saved. Exactly. That's that is that blows my mind. And and just for (laughs) just for. Clarification: I'm not advocating that you know pastors go out and buy you know the number one best-selling book written by an atheist and start giving them out to people. Just flood the bookstore. With <laughs> yes. it. Yeah. it was just the vehicle and the method that God used for me, where I was no longer willing to listen to, or, or maybe the, the message from the church had become ineffective. Mm. But God was not exhausted in how He could work and how He could do things, and He knew exactly what was going to be necessary for that bondage that I was in to no longer separate me from Him. Wow. I think it's interesting that freedom was given to you first before salvation, because I think a lot of times Mm -hmm. in the Christian mindset, it's, you know, especially for pastors, like the way we think is, you know, People come to the church, they've got problems, they've got bondage, they've got issues, and then you stand up there and preach, hey, you've got these issues, Jesus gives freedom from these issues, come to Jesus, and you'll experience freedom mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. these issues. And so it's kind of like we we think in our mind it has to be, you know, you say the prayer, you give your life to Jesus, and then he fixes you. Right. But he actually showed up and he gave you what you needed 
before you even committed yourself to him. And years and years before. Yeah, it's and incredible. It, it, it's kind of mind-blowing. And and to tell you the truth, it's so there was such a separation between ninth grade and when I was 20 years old that it wasn't until just a couple of years ago when I was putting together the testimony that I was I was putting all this together and I saw how God did supernaturally hmm. take hold of of that moment and space and time that I was in where death was at the hour. I mean, literally at the hour. I'm not playing games and trying to be overly dramatic, but I was so done and I was mm. so like anxiously ready and wanting to be done. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was over. I mean, so completely over that it never came back. You know, it's funny. I My thought was like, all right, if it ever gets this bad, we'll come back to it. My life never, ever came anywhere near that thought that frame of mind and I still had you know later on you know there were other challenging moments it's not like challenging moments just never came back into life but that spirit of death and oppression was gone Hmm. so there was freedom and and again I I think that God knew you know what he was going to make me into just like he did with Saul turning into Paul yeah it's it's this incredible reality to me of this idea that you know, the Bible says, um, you know, that God predestined us according to his foreknowledge. Now, I'm not Reformed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not Calvinistic. But I do think it's incredible that there's this possibility of God seeing the, the possibilities in the future, seeing that you are somebody who would respond to the gospel and then like literally fighting against your entire life, every attack of Satan. Like mm-hmm. he saw those things that were obstacles mm-hmm. to you and him. And he's like, I'm going to tear down those walls. And he's like, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how much this guy hates me. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much he rejects me or curses me or spits in my face. Like I know what I'm doing here. The right. end of the story is this guy is going to be my son. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that like relentless pursuit throughout time. To me, it just... It blows my mind, and it, it again, there's people in my life I'm praying for right now where I'm like, I just want them to come to Jesus. Like, I just, if, like, what can I do? What can I say? How can I force this to happen? Right. But this thought of, like, if it's going to happen, God knows it's going to happen, and he's going to make it happen. And we're all just playing our part mm-hmm. in it. And, and interestingly with that is when, like, for us, it's like, okay, on that day, for me, when I became a Christian— that wasn't the beginning of the story with God. Like what we're talking about is all the wheels that he had in motion hmm. to accomplish what he would intend. You know, I'm going to talk about testimonies here for a second because I have some friends and uh, I think you're one of them <laughs> that feel like unless there's some kind of radical transformation that there isn't a testimony that is just like, I, I just have my life and, yeah. and there isn't no, I, so much I was, of a testimony. I was born in the church. My right. dad was a pastor. I, I joke all the time that like, you know, I, I was in the hospital room singing Christian mm-hmm. worship songs because I literally, in, in my life, my story was just like, yeah, I was born and I was saved and I've lived my life for Jesus ever since I was four years old. And that's just, yeah. so it, it feels a lot of times like I don't have this crazy testimony. Yes. And and so that crazy testimony um, with talking about how God allows this time to work out with the wheels in motion, knowing how things are going to turn out and they're going to end up, yeah. there's nothing from all those years, the pain and, and, and all of that, that I'm not thankful for today because now when I do have a kid and they could be in fifth grade, they can be in 12th grade. When I've got a kid that, that I see in their eyes, 
the death or the struggle or the challenges or the lies that I was going through, mm. I'm very near to that. I'm very, very sensitive to that. Um, I have eyes to see that kind of thing, and I want to draw near to them. And and the, if I can say this, the hell that I was going through at those years that Sometimes people think like, okay, you know, sweet little Susie, she's 12, you know, an ice cream cone will just change her day and make her happy. (laughs) While some of us are literally thinking about shooting up our school, like at at that age, you know, like for, for that to be something that, that God does really use for good. And, and he does allow for us to experience and to go through for his purposes and for his mission. And I think that is what also helped and aided, um, Paul's mission mm. in the transformation when he came to that calling as well. Mm. That's incredible. And, and, and to me, it's, it's again, encouragement that God is pursuing people. It's not up to us. We're, we're part of the process. And, and that makes me want to be more involved in the process of mm. saving souls because knowing it's not on me that mm. I don't have to save people, but mm. God's like, Hey, you can be involved in this. Like you can be a part. I'm doing something. Um, I think for all of us that should give us this incredible encouragement where even if we go out and we, you know, share the gospel with our friends or family or strangers on the street, just knowing that God's the one who ultimately is doing the work, it it takes so much of the burden off of us. And then it's just, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, we get to take part in this mission that God has been involved in since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. This, this him bringing his lost family back together with him. Um, and I just, I love what he's done with you. And I love this transformation um, and just seeing your kindness and your passion and your drive and your love for students. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of going to UConn High School with you a few times and seeing you just love on the students there. And mm-hmm. you're in this public school and you have this heart to just engage with these kids. Mm-hmm. And some of them are non-Christians. Some of them are Bible Belt Christians where, you know, they're just Christian because their mom and dad is Christian and it hasn't really clicked and they're in that danger zone that right. you were in mm-hmm. where, you know, it's it's all there. The information's there, but it hasn't clicked yet. Like Jesus and them don't have an actual connection yet. I love that because of what's happened in your life, you have this drive to be involved in the process of impacting others. Amen. <laughs> so thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for doing that. I'm... <laughs> um, I'm glad we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know where to go from there. That was yeah. that was just so wrapping up and kind of yeah. a thing. Um, <laughs> any any closing thoughts? Um, I'll ask this as a closing question. Um, if anyone was listening to this as an atheist and mm. just you know very hard hearted, stony, just like I don't care about this guy's story. Sure. I, I was talking to an atheist and I explained. Some there, I do have some testimony. It's not how I got saved, but it's basically, you know, God um, orchestrating these crazy circumstances in my life. Very briefly, mm-hmm. He sent three homeless people to me to tell me to go to Ireland. It's a mm-hmm. long story, but it's very strange and mystical and bizarre. Um, the guy that I was talking to, a friend of mine who's an atheist, he was like, "Yeah, it's just chemical neurons in your brain, like firing and making you believe things that aren't actually really true. It's you just want to believe this so desperately, so you're reaching out to find some way to explain." the meaning of life. So, so there could be someone like that listening. And obviously if you're listening, we love you. Mm -hmm. Um, we (laughs) we do like, we're not making fun of you right now. Um, we, we love you. And, uh, so what would you say to somebody maybe skeptically listening to this? Well, I, okay. So going back to when I was an atheist in in the nineties, again, it was not a cool thing to be an atheist. Uh, (laughs) It wasn't that that hadn't hit yet. So there weren't a lot 
of atheists. Now, like you said, I, I, I grew up in New York and now I'm in Oklahoma and the Bible Belt and I have ministries in, in public schools. And, you know, I asked them in, in Oklahoma, hmm. what percentage do you guys think your school um, does not live for God, does not care about God, maybe even doesn't believe that there is a God or hates God? Hmm. And it's the vast majority, the wow. vast, vast majority. So um, it is it is very much alive and prevalent and, and kind of growing. And um, in my experience in looking at it, and if you are an atheist and, you know, I'm, I'm Please no, we're not trying to put you guys in a box or anything like that. We're also amazed that you're still listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so there's there's two levels that I experienced with it. The first level was the intellectual level. That mm-hmm. level was um, everything that I had ever learned in this natural world that basically contradicted the Bible. So I could stand on that and say like, you know, you have this story about Noah and you have the story about the six days of creation and a lot of other stories and it really just doesn't match up scientifically. So that was an easy out. And I think that's one of the um, the, the dangerous kind of things that has plagued um, truth for a about a hundred or so years now Mm. and it's and it's only increasing so that's an easy out right there and i took that easy out in addition to the second one now the second one is not the natural world not the natural mind and that has to do with the soul Mm. we have a soul now my spirit my soul hated god Mm. so the mind in my mind i said there's no such thing but in my soul it wasn't a matter if there's no such thing he was the epitome of my hatred Mm. so um, you know, I, I've met some atheists that I've talked to and, and, you know, when I share something like that, they go, yeah, absolutely. Like, so then it's not a matter of like, is there a God or isn't there a God? The concern is where we stand with him. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes God not meeting what our expectations are, or our standards are of justice or, or peace or emotions or something like that. Um, and, and I would say this too, like, I think a lot of Christians who do mean to help when it comes to atheists, um, may, may not have the tools to communicate with them in a way that is always profitable. Hmm. So, um, but you, like for anyone who is either out there who's an atheist or has a friend who's an atheist, um, first of all, you have to know that God loves them. God hmm. is the one that loves them. God is the one who's going to be after them when all the church fails. Yeah. God's not going to be failing in the way that he continues to pursue everyone who he loves. And then if we can come alongside at some point, maybe we're the person that gives the book or, or it is just there to hear him out or something like that. There's ways that God can use us, but this has to remain his mission. Hmm. I, I, so like to, to summarize, um, would you say that for us in the church, when it comes to our friends and neighbors who don't believe, or maybe you're atheists or just very, um, resistant to the gospel, the goal shouldn't be trying to explain away every doubt and trying to make God make sense in some textbook fashion where all clicks. Mm-hmm. The first step is just getting them to meet that God. Oh, gosh, yes. And yeah. then 
And then afterwards, that stuff can follow. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'll be honest. There's stuff I still don't get. There's stuff I just still don't understand. Right. But I can't deny that I've met that God Mm -hmm. and that he's spoken to me and he's intervened in my life. So it's not this head knowledge. There's things where I'm like, God, I read the Bible. And I'm like, I don't get that still. Like, that doesn't make sense. And I don't know if that lines up with, like, you know, history or science. Like, uh, apologetics, you know, often wants us to think everything lines up perfectly. But I think sometimes it's much more genuine and authentic when you're talking to somebody who is an atheist and they bring up these questions and if if you don't know the answer instead mm-hmm. of trying to explain it away be like hey you know what like that's a good question i still wrestle with that mm-hmm. like that yeah so that troubles me as well like i'm currently trying to study that and figure that out but mm-hmm. let me tell you regardless of that mm-hmm. i've met this god and and i know that you need to meet him too okay so i've never met an atheist that ever said here are the three things that are my issue. And if, and if you can answer these three things, or if you can help me through that, hmm. then I'll, uh, I'll be a Christian 100%. <laughs> right. That's never happened. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and also like for me, when I was an atheist and I kept on like, you know, making fun of Christians or priests or pastors or whatever, um, you know, I had the worst day in my, um, atheist beliefs was a day when I was betrayed by my science teacher. So there was a person who was the smartest man I had ever known. He was my, my physics teacher. And, um, you know, he was explaining all these things regarding physics in class. And, and it just really puffed up my chest in regard to my disbelieving disdain towards God. And so I mentioned something to him about that. I was like a teacher, you know, I raised my hand and this is actually at another Christian school. (laughs) And I said, um, so with all of this understanding that we have, why is it that people would still believe in God? And um, and he said, well, the more that we know, the more that we know that there's no possible way that this could happen without a God. Right. And I did everything I could to ignore that statement. In fact, when people would try to answer those hypothetical three questions, I would do everything I could to try to shoot them down and, and prove them wrong. I don't think that I've ever met an atheist sincerely that says, really wrestle with this. I really want to believe that there's a God really and truly, but intellectually, I just have this wall that no one's been able to help me tear down. Usually we put the wall up and we say, I don't want you in God. I think there's a huge difference. And I think that we use the intellectual arguments to safeguard it, but it was never about that in the first place. That's just convenient. Hmm. And, and so this wall is the thing that, um, I really think that as loving brothers and sisters, this is where we say, Hey man, I know you have a wall up. And I'm here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about you because I love you. Because And, and the thing is, I, you might be a total stranger to me, but I know God loves you and I, I live the heart of God and that's my life. And so I'm here to have that conversation with you that maybe nobody else is willing to have. And you don't have to worry about pride and you don't have to worry about, you know, like we can, you can, we can have this vulnerable conversation on what things are really about. Mm. <sighs> that's incredible and amazing and i'm so thankful that we recorded this today man thank you so much absolutely thanks for being here we will definitely get you back on one of our shows soon you're you're great to talk to you got a great voice for radio and a great great face it's not just you know the voice but you know he's, he's got a good you, you can't see his face but it's a good face. so um thanks for being there this has been testimony and um this is aaron and christian talking it out I don't know how to end things. I'm going to go back and re-record some sort of outro because I have no idea what to say here. But uh, Christian, thank you. Yeah, it was a good conversation. Yeah. Testimony is a ministry of the Good Lion Podcast Network. 
and is produced by Aaron Salvato. That's me. We are a show about real people and real stories of encountering the love of Jesus. If you have a testimony you'd like to share on the show, or if you'd like to support our work, you can visit our webpage at www.goodlion.io forward slash testimony. Testimony, along with all the work we do here at Good Lion, is supported by listeners like you. If you want to support our work, please visit goodlion.io forward slash support. We believe that every single Christian has a testimony, and we hope that hearing this one has encouraged you to share your story with others. Thanks for listening.